0: Breathe in that dry heat once again. <clears throat> I now live in a place where I'm exposed to all sorts of weather, and it has not been pleasant. <laughs> a week ago, I we got six inches of hail. The following day, it was 70. The following day, it was a monsoon. The following day, it was sleet, then snow, then 70. Ah. <sighs> Wow, it's good to be back to consistency. Uh, It's so good to be back to see you guys. I said this first service, but um, going out, you know, moving, transitioning is always a royal pain and uncomfortable and getting your bearings all over again. Um, But one of the biggest challenges is then finding a, a new church family. And uh that, that was a, a long road for Stacy and I. Uh we're finally kinda settled in um and I uh, had my first meeting uh with the pastor. Um and uh he's a nice guy, great guy, but coming out of that meeting uh just uh gave me all the more respect for Pastor Richie and also missing him. Um I love his his kingdom mindset and his humility and his willingness to partner with anyone and and anything that wants to to push forward the kingdom um so thank you pastor Richie, for being my friend and mentor and counselor and uh also being being willing to uh let any yahoo up here on the stage so <clears throat> um but also you guys uh it's For the, it's kind of rough to say this, but for the first time in a while, I was excited to come to church. Not because church is a bore or a drag or blah, 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 but just because it's so good to see friendly faces, faces I know, people who I can talk to and who know me, and I'm not just another, you know, face in in the crowd. Uh, So, um you guys are our sending church. You are our home church. You are our family, and uh, you support us financially. You support us uh, in prayer. You support us emotionally. Um, you know when Stacy posts anything about a baby or a pregnancy or a family or whatever women post on Facebook, um, you guys are like movies and guns and. You know, <laughs> But whatever is posted on Facebook, you know who the number one commenters and likers of our posts are? You guys. (laughs) So thank you for being our family. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for reminding us that we're not alone, regardless of where in the world we may be at any given time. Um, Thank you for being our support and love and pastoral care and financial bedrock (laughs) and everything that you guys are to us. So may I just... Before I get into the message, may I just give a slow clap for you guys. <laughs> we love you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, the, the message, uh, I came out here for a uh, conference ministering to Muslims, uh, which I actually didn't talk anything about Muslims. Um, the other guys did. Uh, my message was on overcoming fear so that we can minister to Muslims, and to a hurt and dying world out there who often do not have our best interests in mind. Um, and uh, great response uh, from that. It was a challenging word. I, I like challenging words, so I figured I'd stick with the theme and give you a challenging word this morning. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's, it's a challenging word, but it should be a word that will speak to uh, the core of you. And if you allow that that small voice in there, to, to, to not get quite so quiet and small. I, I, I want a part of you this morning, deep, deep, deep down inside, to be going, Aah! that this will be food for your inner man. Okay? Now, the downside to that, the flip side to that, is that the flesh will also have a voice. And could possibly be louder and more adamant, okay? and I won't, I won't make his noise in the microphone so no one goes deaf, but uh, there's going to be two voices in you speaking this morning, and so my challenge is walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, all right? So here we go. Without further ado, let's get kicked in the stomach, all right? Life as a drink offering, okay? Life as a drink offering. Uh we love particularly in the West, in our little bubble in history, uh, where there 's prosperity and microwave ovens and fast food, and things are just quick, easy, painless, uh, require very little of us. We have a tendency to allow that culture to seep into our theology all right we We have a tendency to open up the scriptures, and when we read. We have a tendency to interpret what we read through our cultural lens, right? Culture is one of the most powerful influences um, on your lives, on your thinking, on your emotions, on your ideology, on your theology, on your philosophy of life, okay? Studied anthropology in college. It was a huge waste of time, but I did learn that. Uh, Philippians 2.17, Paul speaking, says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. all right? So he says, even if I am to be a drink offering. Okay, What do you know about offerings? You have something. You give it as an offering. What are you left with? Right? That's the general concept, right? It's an offering. It's something you did have, you gave away, and you no longer have, right? What is he talking about in this context then? Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering for you, I, I am glad and will rejoice with you all. What, what is he saying poetically? Right, he's saying, even if I gave everything, including my life, For you guys, this is Paul talking to the church. He's like, I would be glad. I will rejoice. Right? So, he's got a a very certain perspective here that he's speaking from, right? And that is, he's walking in the spirit when he's saying these words, correct? Okay? Now, we read these, and we read all, you know, the the wisdom and and knowledge that God poured out through Paul uh, in Scripture. We read what he has to say, whether he spoke it or dictated it or whatever. And all of us like look at it and they're like, oh my gosh, like this guy is a spiritual stud muffin. Like there is no way I would ever be able to live and act and breathe and and do what Paul did, right? But it's because we're only getting half of the story that we have that perspective of him. Right? We have the bits and pieces in Scripture which were written through the Spirit of And unfortunately, maybe fortunately, but I kind of sometimes think unfortunately, we don't also have his flesh journal to go alongside it, right? We read what he's writing in the spirit, and we think that he's just, he's heart, soul, mind, body, just 100% on board with that, and he's just having a grand old time, and God is doing amazing things, and he's just this happy-go-lucky chipper, you know, Paulette all the time, right? Wouldn't it be great? if life was always like that. But in reality, Paul, 100%, I believe, if we were to look at his flesh journal, that that he was thinking kind of alongside of the thoughts that he was writing in Scripture, we would get something more like this. Dear Philippians, may grace be upon you, because I can't stand you. Dear Philippians, may you pursue Christ. And grow up and be mature and be an apostle so that I don't have to. Because this sucks. I hate my life. There's no creature comforts. I really, really, really don't even like writing to you. I would rather be watching Netflix. But here I am in prison with nothing better to do. So I'm writing to you, trying to encourage you, even though I don't feel encouraged. You never write to me, even though I'm the one in stinking prison. I'm writing to you, always encouraging you, even though you're enjoying life with your family and friends, eating what food you want, urinating when you want to. I'm stuck here. Thanks, guys. I mean, honestly, right? Because Paul wasn't 100% uber-Christian. He was a man. He's having the exact same thoughts on Monday morning that we are. The difference is, is who he's identifying with, his flesh or his spirit. Who he identifies with, he's grown and matured to the point where he identifies with his spirit, with the spirit of God. And he's like, yes, life sucks. Yes, prison is uncomfortable and inconvenient. Yes, suffering is not so much fun. But I know it produces good fruit in my life, and therefore I am going to choose to say, Yea, God, bring it on. That's what he writes to the church. But if he was totally honest and also gave the other side of how he was feeling, then we would hear something quite different. Right, but he didn't identify with how he felt. He didn't identify with what his flesh was screaming at him. He identified with the spirit, right? And so he can write those great, encouraging and, and challenging words. And we look at him and think he's this ridiculously, you know, uh, you know, righteous superstar. And he was, but he also had flesh that he dealt with, and we know this. He wrote in Romans. The things I want to do, I find myself not doing. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin, right? I mean, he struggled. He had a battle daily. He had bad flesh thoughts. But he had to rebuke them, take every thought captive, right? And say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And in doing so, he was this super encouraging ridiculously awesome uh, apostle, right? Even though, in natural terms, he shouldn't have been. Paul is the biggest rejoicer, but it's out of the most suffering. It was ri- ridiculous what Paul went through. Everybody's seen The Passion of the Christ, or at least have a concept of what Jesus went through, right? 39 lashes, crucifixion. Not exactly what I would call, you know, a pleasant day at the office, right? Um, But when we look at them, we're like, oh, my gosh. Jesus, you're awesome. And then we kind of think, like, oh, man, the Son of God could endure that, but I never could. I'm just a human. You do realize, it's recorded in 2 Corinthians, Paul received the 39 lashes five times. On five separate occasions, he went through that. He received the punishment of being beaten with rods, on three separate occasions. He was beaten many times. He was imprisoned many times. He was shipwrecked three times. A day and a half he spent in the deep, it says. He was stoned once. am not talking about Colorado stoned. Okay, he was thrown off a cliff. They dropped boulders on his head. And when they, when, you know, they were satisfied that he was good and dead, they walked off. He got back up not sure if that was supernaturally, if God raised him from the dead, or if he just, <laughs> if he's just stinking T-1000, Terminator, and can't kill him. Uh, but whatever the case, he got up, bloodied, battered, bruised, got up, walked back into the, through the main city gate, and continued to preach the gospel. The dude's the Energizer bunny, right? He just keeps going. So, I mean, this guy, we kind of, okay, other other things about Paul, we know that actually, I mean, we look at him like a spiritual superstar, but did you remember that the early church apparently did not? He was the least of the apostles. He was not the, probably the charismatic, dynamic, muscle-bound, you know, heroic, manly figure that Peter was, or Apollos, right? The church compared Paul to Peter and Apollos, and they're like, well, these guys are pretty awesome, you're kind of a dork, Okay. I picture Paul as kind of being a bookworm, kind of the nerdy guy that knows a lot, has no social life, and no one really likes to be around. Right? That's just my, you know, I could be way off there, but we get glimpses in Scripture that Paul was not Mister Popularity. Okay, in the church. I'm not talking about the Romans. Of course, they hated him, but I mean, in the church. Okay, but he wasn't. Like this little meek, mild, weak man. Either, I want to give you a mental. Just think of the mental picture. You know, what did Paul look like? He might have been smaller build. Might have been, you know, a bookworm and and not a physical specimen. But take off his shirt. This would be the one time in church someone tells you to undress someone in your mind, right? Take off his shirt. Look at his body. How many scars does this man have from five separate sets of 39 lashes? From being stoned. From being beaten. Okay? And that's the context of when he's giving this list of all the crap that's happened to him. The church is challenging him. Are you really an apostle? Did he say, look at my credentials. Look at my diploma. Look at all the scripture I've written. No. What was his list of qualifications? Look at me. Look at my scars. Look at the sufferings I've been through. Look at all the pain I have endured. I have suffered with Christ. It is no longer I who live. And you know what? When the shirt came off, the church shut up. Like, sorry Paul, you to man. Is that our model? Is Christ our model? Is that what we aspire to be? Is that how we gauge <laughs> spiritual maturity in the church today? How much suffering have I endured for the cross? No, it is not. Why? I want to challenge you, if that is what we see in Scripture, if that is the model thrown down, if that is the gauntlet, if that is uh, the, the principles to follow, if those are all the models in the New Testament, from Jesus to his apostles and even the early church, why are we deviating from that? More importantly, I'm not saying, you know, beat yourself for anything. I'm not going all Opus Dei Catholic on you. Uh, but when suffering comes, when hardships come, when trials come into your life, what is your attitude and response toward them? Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, get me out of this. Or, thank you Father for helping me to be conformed into your image. Right? And the We have to realize that the things that we're suffering right now in in modern American culture are peanuts compared to what Christians have suffered historically and even currently in the world today, right? You guys have all seen the news, ISIS. That's prominent forefront in the news, but that happens every day, all day, all around the world and has been for the last 2,000 years. It just hasn't been on Fox News on average, uh, it's almost around 200,000 Christians are martyred every year. And we whine and complain that we didn't get the raise at work. Oh, God's blessing isn't on my life. Why is this Christianity thing not working? Oh, my third car broke down. Good Lord. God, I thought you were with me. Thought you said you'd never leave me or forsake me. Thought you said you were gonna bless my life. What am I gonna do without three cars? Oh I gotta fix the plumbing in my house. Oh my gosh. Oh, how am I gonna live without indoor plumbing? And my brittle water filter. God, you can't expect me to drink tap water. (laughs) My body is the temple. I will not pollute it. These are, I mean, I know I'm mocking us all, but that's the level of struggle and tribulation that we typically encounter on a daily basis, right? And yet... Most of the time when I talk to a Christian and, and probe and, and you know poke at them long enough to figure out how they're really doing rather than the Sunday morning facade, what comes out? <sighs> I'm just really struggling. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I I know God says he's there, but I don't feel him. I... Are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the spirit? And what's going to happen when real trials and tribulation comes upon you? What's going to happen when the American bubble in time bursts and actual persecution comes upon you as it has for the norm in all of history? It's coming. I'm not making any prophecies or predictions. I'm just saying Historically speaking, every nation rises and falls, okay? Whether it's tomorrow or another 200 years from now, someday America will cease to exist as we know it, and the climate and culture and what happens here will be vastly, vastly different. It might not happen in your uh, lifetimes, although I would put money on that it will, but it might not happen in your lifetimes, but it will happen in your children's lifetimes or your grandchildren or whatever, what legacy are we leaving for them? If we're training them up to whine and complain about unfiltered tap water, how are they going to survive when real poop hits the fan? Okay? Are we training ourselves to live in the spirit? And are we training up our children and grandchildren to live in that? Are we training them up in the American dream where if you don't have a microwave that can bake your turkey in 30 seconds, then the world is going to end? In the Old Testament, uh, we talk about what is a drink offering. Well, a drink offering was wine, okay? Um, but a drink offering was actually given every time there was an animal sacrifice, okay? So every time there was a bull or a ram or, or a dove or whatever, they would sacrifice on the altar. They would also take about a quart of, of wine and pour that on, onto the altar, okay? So you have a full cup that is emptied out. You no longer have that wine, right? It is a sacrifice, a drink offering. They would also often do grain offerings and oil offerings, Regardless of what type of offering was being done, whether it was an animal or a grain or oil offering, they would always have a drink offering to go along with it, all right? So that's the context. That's what what Paul is talking about. That's the imagery that he's pulling from. Um, But we know that Jesus fulfilled this uh, requirement as he fulfilled all of the law, right, of the Old Testament. Uh, Luke 22, 20, um, Jesus says, This cup, he's holding a cup of wine, Last Supper, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, right? So his death on the cross fulfilled both the animal sacrifice requirement, the death requirement, but it also fulfilled the drink sacrifice requirement, okay? Um, And the, the, the drink for him, what he poured out was quite literally his blood, right? But he fulfilled that requirement. But unfortunately, In our mamby-pamby American Christianity, what we have a tendency to do is have a theology of Jesus suffered so that I don't have to. Okay, Let me repeat that. Make sure that sinks in. In our American Christianity, we have a tendency to have a theology that Christ suffered so that I don't have to. Does anybody see anything wrong with that theology? It's the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches. Okay? The opposite. It's not just kind of theologically wrong. It's 100% in opposition to what is theologically correct. <laughs> okay? And yet so many of us believe it or at least we want to believe it, right? And we would love to come to church on a Sunday morning and hear that preached to us. We would love to have our ears tickled. God just wants to bless me. He wants me to be healthy, happy, wealthy. He just wants to bless my socks off. And when we say bless, what we mean is financially, because we're so materialistic, we're so worldly, okay? And that's wrong. Jesus died on the cross, to bear your sin, guilt, and shame so that you would not have to. But he very clearly invites us to the cross with him. You cannot be my disciple. Unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. He was not being poetic, people. The cross wasn't, you know, a symbol of anything else other than suffering. Now, you might not have to pick up a literal cross and follow him. Some of the apostles did. Some Christians in the world this day are. But the cross cannot be a symbol for anything else other than suffering. You cannot be my disciple unless you carry your cross. What's your cross? And if your answer is anything other than real suffering, then you're not following Christ. You're not truly pursuing him. So Paul understood this, and he said, I rejoice in my suffering. Not because his flesh wrote that, because he was agreeing with the Spirit. He's saying, I know this will produce good fruit. This will produce character in my life. This will produce um, uh, spiritual fruit in my life. This will produce uh, kingdom fruit. This will produce a well done, my good and faithful servant, when I finally go and stand before him. He was looking forward to that, and because he was focusing on the good that came out of it, he was rejoicing. But of course, at that exact same moment, his flesh is like, Ew! And every day we have those voices. Every day we have the no! And every day at the exact same moment we have the spirit going, ha ha! Victory! But what is coming out of our mouth? Which voice are we uttering? Which identity are we standing in? Flesh or spirit? Are we rejoicing or are we grumbling and complaining? Usually, okay, but we've got to go for consistency. Uh, the thing is, the sacrifices in the Old Testament required death, all right, And we're all happy about that that you know you all don't have to bring a goat to church every morning and slit its throat. You know we're kind of happy about that. Um, it's great. Oh God, fulfilled that requirement. However, again, we get into this mentality of it's fulfilled and therefore sacrifice is no longer required. theologically incorrect. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Sacrifice in the New Testament promotes death. It's to encourage us to die to self, to die to the flesh. It's to encourage us to live for Christ. To live for Christ, to die, is gain, right? And we're not talking just to the flesh. Like, Look at Jesus. In his ministry, in his mission, did he suffer? Yes. Everybody agree with that? In the apostles' life, in his disciples' lives, did they suffer? Yes. In the New Testament church, which they launched, was their suffering? Yes. Okay, let's go a step further. In Jesus' life and ministry... Was there death? Yes. In the disciples' lives and ministry, was there death? Yes. All but one of them died a martyr's death. John was the only one, you know, because he was the disciple Jesus loved. (laughs) He suffered, guys. He was in prison most of his life. All of them died a martyr's death except one. We go through the list in church history of all the crazy and creative ways that they died, right? In the early church was their death. Anybody know any church history here? Come on, what did the Romans do to Christians? <inaudible> Fed them to the lions, burned them, drawn and quartered them, threw them to gladiators to get, you know, practice. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on of the crazy, bloody, you know, creative way the Romans. I give them this. They had active imaginations. They really knew how to come up with new ways to produce pain and suffering in a a person's life. All right? And yet here we are. How many of you have faced any of that at any point in your life? Not on a daily basis. I'm just talking about at any point in your life. No hands. Let's go for the jugular here. How many of you want to to experience that? No hands? You guys are all living in the flesh right now. Come on. Stop identifying with the flesh. Someone in their spirit yell out, Amen! Let's suffer for Christ. Amen! Amen! It's going to bring good fruit in my life. Amen. It's going to, it's going to strengthen my inner man. It's going to help me to die to flesh. It's going to help me to, uh, work out my salvation with fear and trembling. It's going to help me be a better evangelist. It's going to help me be a better Christian. It's going to help me, uh, prioritize my life and my values and my family and my focus on Christ better. I will no longer have these distractions like Netflix and, you know, football and Facebook. And uh, pursuing the American dream, like all that's going to burn. And yet I spend so much time focusing on it. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, he's going to strip that all from me. And I'm going to have to focus on the only thing that is sustaining me and keeping me in this world. And that is his love and his purpose and plan in my life. So that I can go and share the good news of that to others. Because they are suffering and they are dying without a God who loves them and gave his life for them. And is so deserving of them. But we want to live in the flesh. We're like, I like Facebook. (laughs) And I do too. (laughs) I don't know what I would do (laughs) without movies. I'm a movie buff, guys. Who's been in my house before? A couple people know I'm a movie buff. I'm going to go see a movie this afternoon with this handsome young man here. Like, I, I understand. I, I don't want pain and suffering in my life either. But I know I need it. And I know God will use it. And I know that I will be a better Christian and disciple of Christ as a result of it. But that's my spirit talking. The flesh is still here. In every moment that I'm speaking this truth to you right now, he's saying, shut up! (laughs) La, 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 (laughs) la. Jesus invites us to die with him. Now, the sacrifice is a little different, right? The sacrifice in the Old Testament was a physical goat or ram or or bull or what have you, right? We're no longer doing that. So we have cleaner sacrifices these days. The problem is, that was a sacrifice that was physical representing the spiritual, and today we don't have the physical representing the spiritual, we actually have to live it the spiritual, right? We have to offer the spiritual sacrifice. The problem with the spiritual sacrifice is that it's us. Now the Old Testament is sounding really appealing. I liked it back in the day when the goat died for my sin. He was the sacrifice for me, rather than me having to sacrifice. Hmm. You can kind of see how we would like to revert into Old Testament religiosity, right? Because in some ways, it was much, much, much easier. <laughs> see, the problem here, Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship, right? The problem here is this word right here. It's a living sacrifice. Uh, You've probably heard this before, but the problem with a living sacrifice is it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. (laughs) How many of you in Isaac's shoes would have uh, just sat there? Like, oh, wow, that's a really nice knife. Oh, it's coming my direction. That's lovely. Oh, thank you, God. This will be a wonderful day. Oh, I mean, Abraham bound him, did he not? (laughs) God, in his love and his mercy, does not bind you. He frees you. Unfortunately, then, that means we have a choice to make. Are we going to stay under the knife and sacrifice or we're going to slither off the altar and go do what the flesh wants to do that day. So it's a daily choice we have to make. You have free will, guys, and that is an incredible thing. Incredibly dangerous thing, let's be honest. In some ways, I think it's the worst decision God ever made. (laughs) He gave us free will. God is the all-powerful, omnipotent being in the universe, is he not? God is sovereign, is he not? God is all-powerful. There is nothing, no one more powerful than God. Correct? Except your free will. Except your free will. You can overrule God. Wow. You know, what are you doing with your free will? Are you aligning with the will of God? We're aligning with someone else's will. And in Christianity, there's only two to choose from, guys. So if you're not going with the will of God, the other answer isn't so good. All right? It's your spiritual act of worship. Next verse, Romans twelve two, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? But we have to choose God's will because he will not force it upon us. He will not tie up the sacrifice. He will lovingly, gently place it on the altar, whip out the biggest, scariest knife you've ever seen in your life, and say, what would you like to do, son? And our response is supposed to be, slay me, Lord, for your glory. Most often, our response is, I thought you loved me. Why are you doing this to me? You're a mean God. I don't like you anymore. That's our flesh. Scripture makes it pretty clear. It says God disciplines those who he loves. He promised us trials and tribulations. He said, the world hated me. How much more will they hate you? The servant is not above his master.'" When people tried to follow him, often he would discourage them from following him, saying, do you really want to follow me? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you really want to follow me? I don't have a penny to my name. Do you really want to follow me? All that's in store for you is suffering. Do you really want to follow me? And a lot of times people said, oh, maybe not. God is looking for a sacrifice. And it's not all rainbows and gumdrops. But it will produce a good fruit in your life. And when it's all said and done, we're standing before the Father in heaven. I can't imagine any one of us who has given up everything, who has suffered it all, who has given up their lives for the gospel, who has even died a martyr's death. I can't imagine a single one of them standing before the Father in heaven. And he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful to the end. You did not love, love your life even up until death. You sacrificed everything. You gave up everything. You, you, every dollar you made, you gave to missions. You furthered the kingdom, you sacrificed, you loved, you toiled, you gave it all, I can't imagine a single person saying, wow, what a waste, really wish I could go back and do that one again, man, can you imagine, all the money I gave in tithe, I should have just bought a Ferrari. I'd have been so much more fulfilling. I'd have been so much happier. Man, God, this is kind of a letdown. Eternity with you. Mm. Eternal reward. Yeah, eternally. That's okay, Ferrari. That's better. We all know this, right? None of us are, are honestly confused about that fact. Not a single one of you, young or old, honestly think that one day you will stand in front of God and have any regrets about what you did for him. You know, deep down, all the regrets you are going to have standing before the Father are going to be what you didn't do for him. So why are we not living that way? Why do we consistently then go back to living in the flesh rather than living in the spirit? America is the wealthiest church on earth. Why are we not the frontrunner in evangelization, the frontrunner in, in global missions, the frontrunner in supplying uh, for the poor, the frontrunner of everything? Because we are number one. Americans love to hear that. But what are we number one in? Wealth. Do you know what number we are in world missions per capita? Anybody? Someone take a wild guess. What do you feel in your patriotic pride for America? What number we are? Fifth. Lower. We did break the top ten. We're number nine globally. Okay? Okay. Put that in perspective, Tonga, a poor nation, sends more missionaries per capita than we do. Okay? You want to know who number one is? No one will guess. I couldn't guess. I study these things, and I was shocked. Palestine. Palestine. is the number one global mission sender per capita. Let me put, give it up some perspective. America, in all of its wealth and prosperity, and enormous amount of resources, and countless Christians that we have going to church every Sunday in this country, we send 614 missionaries per million church members. Okay, 614 per million church members. That is 0.06% of those who claim to be Christian actually have responded to the Great Commission. Six hundredths of one percent, okay? Okay, Tonga sends more, South Korea sends more, okay, but just keep that number in mind, 614 for America. Palestine, the number one sender, about 3,500 missionaries per million church members, okay? They've got us beat, hands down, not even, no contest, okay? Okay? I didn't go into this first service. I don't want to go late again. But do you do you realize mathematically speaking if America Luke 12:48, right? To whom much is given, much is required. If you don't read the Bible, I'll quote you a movie. Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. It's pretty biblical. That uncle was pretty, pretty wise. <clears throat> Too much is given, much is required. So if America were just to live up to its potential, and let's not even go overboard. Let's not beat the number one mission center. Let's just tie them, okay? Come on, guys. Big American pride here. Can we tie Palestine for sending missionaries? If we were to do that, if we were to rise up to the challenge and say, you know what, God, you've given us the most that any nation on earth has received, we are going to be good stewards of that and we are going to focus on sending and expanding the kingdom rather than on making our lives more cozy and comfortable. We're going to spend the church budget on sending as many missionaries as we can rather than on a bigger uh, plasma screen or better sound equipment or on comfier chairs or on a prettier building. You know I mean? Like, if we just really got serious, okay, how much money do you think that would take? Like, currently... Uh, we, uh, the, the American church spends 0.02% of all Christian giving on expanding the kingdom. Okay? That means 99.92% of all Christian giving goes to making our facilities nicer, paying the, the pastors more, uh, expanding the staff within the church, doing local you know, stuff. But mainly it goes to bigger buildings, fancier buildings, better sound equipment, better video production equipment, blah, 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 blah. Okay, bigger, fancier, better production value. In other words, okay? 0.02% actually goes out from the church. 99.92% stays within the church. Okay? If we were to just meet uh, Palestine and tie them for the number one sending, you know how many missionaries we'd be sending out? About 750,000 missionaries just from America. Okay? Currently, we send 127, which is 50,000 less than we used to, actually. I'm going way off topic here. But this is exciting. This is really exciting. Do you know how many missionaries we need globally? I'm not talking from America. I'm talking how many missionaries, total, new missionaries do we need in the next 10 years to be able to complete the Great Commission in this generation? you know how many we need? 500,000. In other words... America's potential is greater than the need. (laughs) We could easily fulfill the Great Commission in this generation if we simply spent a little more. Currently we send 0.06%. If we would just elevate that to 0.3%, one-third of 1%, great commission will be fulfilled in your lifetime that's not asking much that's not even a tithe that's a third of one percent the potential is there guys it is ridiculously exciting what the church is capable of today that it was never capable in all of church history today is a kairos moment Today, the word of the Lord could be fulfilled. Today, the church could move in signs and wonders and and power, and the whole world would see a revival that we have never in the history of mankind seen before. Today is an exciting day to get on board with God and what he is doing and say yes to Jesus, no to flesh, and live radically as drink offerings poured out for the Lord. It will be the most exciting thing you will ever have seen and done in your life lay down your small potatoes, I don't care if you want to grow up to be a brain surgeon or rocket scientist, that is a pathetic calling and pathetic compared to what God has for your life and what he could do through you if you would just allow him. Seriously, guys, I can't, I don't have time to tell you how exciting living for the Lord all out, drink offering being poured out is. Now, of course, I'm speaking to you from the Spirit. <laughs> if, I were to, if I were to sell you the spiel right now in the flesh, I'd be like, my life sucks. It is so uncomfortable. You know, people think missionaries enjoy what they do. Like, oh, I'm not called to be a missionary. Yes, you are. Okay? There's no escape clause in the Great Commission, right? There's no opt-out. You're all called. You don't need to be called to go. You have to be called to stay. Okay, your default mode is go. Lauren Cunningham says two-thirds of God's name is go. <laughs> but you don't have to be called to go. You have to be called to stay. We're all called. Okay, We're all called. No excuse. But people think, well, that's not my calling. I don't enjoy cross-culture ministry. <laughs> Neither do I. I don't do this because... It's so much fun. I do it because I want to be obedient to God. I don't do this because it pays well. Holy moly, it doesn't pay well. (laughs) Every time, every time, I'm going so off track this service. Every time I'm about to go overseas, I struggle with my flesh. Every time. God, I don't want to go. God, I really don't want to spend three quarters of my day on the toilet. God, I really don't want to sweat to death. I prefer my air conditioning. God, I really hate getting outside of my shell. I really like my me time. I'm an introvert, Lord. Why do you make me do this evangelism stuff? You know I hate people. If you were a good God and if you really knew me and how you made me and my personality, you would have called me to be a monk. (laughs) I think you got it wrong, God. This evangelism thing and ministering to people and uh, having conversations and hearing their heart and their their stories and actually, you know, praying with them and ministering to them. That's not my bag, baby. Every time, every time, not sometimes, every time I'm about to go on a mission trip, I kid you not, I want to kill myself. But I go anyway. And I say that not to discourage you. I say that to encourage you. If a screw-up like me can do it, so can you. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Are you saying yes to God? That is it. I can prove it to you mathematically. I don't even need the Bible. I could prove it to you through Scripture as well, but let's just talk simple math. What can you add to infinity to make it a greater number? Nothing. You have just proved that none of your qualifications matter. Nothing of your life experience or your abilities or your talents or your personality or your ministry qualifications or your age or gender or race or anything else disqualifies you or even hinders you from being the most effective minister of the gospel the planet has ever seen. You bring nothing to the table. It's God through you. You are a hose. That is it. We talk about being spirit-filled Christians, and the picture we get in our mind is that of a bottle with the cap tightly on. I'm filled with the Spirit. Yay, God. Tell me, how useful is this water in this bottle in its current state? does me absolutely no good. You are filled with the Spirit, or at least you're called to be filled with the Spirit, but it, you are not a bottle. You are a hose. You are a hose. Is a hose filled with water? Yes, it is. But is it accomplishing something? Yes, it is. It's flowing that water is being used. See, you are the conduit of the Holy Spirit, not the container of. He didn't fill you just for the sake of filling you. The only reason he filled you is so that you would open up the other end and spray it all over the place. That you would plant seeds and water them, not with what you have, but with that your hose would be hooked up to the spout, the source power of God, and be like... Bleh. On everywhere, on everywhere, all the time. There's no end to that supply. You don't have to worry about. Oh, I better shut off the hose. Don't want to run out of water. No, it, you're plugged into the, to God he, it, all the time, no matter what, every day. Spray your hose. You don't have to worry about. Oh, I ran out. Got to go gotta get refilled up with the Holy Spirit. If you are flowing, then you are filled. Are we flowing? Best uh, analogy I've ever heard someone say is relating this principle, the flow principle, to geographically in Israel, okay? Three bodies of water in Israel. You have the the, uh, Sea of Galilee, you have the Jordan River, and you have the Dead Sea, right? The principle here is God is the Sea of Galilee. He is the source. He is, and it is full of life, teeming with fish. That's where they fished all the time, right? Teeming with life. It flows into the Jordan River. That is who you are supposed to be. Think in terms of a river. Can a river ever give more water than it receives? No, it cannot. A river does not have to be worried about giving too much water. Well, I better store that up a little bit. Don't know if I'll have anything for me. That produces not a river. That produces a dead sea. When you stop flowing, when all you do is accumulate there's no life there. Are we Jordan Rivers or are we Dead Seas, guys? Are we blessed so that we can be a blessing or are we blessed so that we can be blessed? Are we giving to God everything that He has given us or we have this skewed, warped theology of God that we better keep some for ourselves? Otherwise, that would be irresponsible. God won't provide for us. He did provide for me, and that's why I'm stewarding this very responsibly and spending it all on myself. Because if I were to give it all away, then I would be a bad steward, and how would I take care of myself? God would probably be very upset for me not stewarding my finances very well. No. I Give away every penny you have. I guarantee you God will provide for you, probably more so. The, 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 man, the promise in Scripture that we cling to, and my God shall supply all of you know, within his riches in Christ Jesus, right? Do you realize the context of that promise? The context is that the Philippians gave out of their need. They gave to Paul and said, look, we're we're destitute. We need this, but we know the kingdom needs it more. Take it. Prosper with the kingdom with it. And that's when Paul writes back and says, Because of your selflessness, because of your sacrificial giving, I know that God will meet your needs. And we claim it while hoarding the blessing rather than giving it away sacrificially. We have so much and we want more. And then we claim that verse in the name of Jesus God's going to provide for me more. I'm going to be prosperous and wealthy and healthy and happy and fat on the land. That is not what God has called us to. I'm sorry. It's not. If that's what you want it to be, there's the door. God wants you to sacrifice. God wants you to be a blessing to the nations. God wants you to pour out your life as a drink offering. So I'm going to have to skip a lot and close here. There's three st- phases to your salvation, all right? It's not one and done. John 20, 22, Jesus raises from the dead. He speaks to the disciples and he said in John twenty twenty two, 22, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. All right? They were justified in Christ. For the first time in human history, the Holy Spirit of God came and dwelled in a man. Fully man. Jesus, obviously. But, okay? Their spirit was instantly renewed. They became new creations. Right? The Greek word for that is pneuma. Okay? The spirit. But that's not where it ends. Then we have to deal with the soul. And that is a dirty, rotten scoundrel. That is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And they, by default, are very much entrenched in sin, death, destruction. How many of you, you know, this is not, it shouldn't be difficult to comprehend. You wake up and by default, are you thinking godly thoughts or fleshly thoughts? (laughs) Do you have to teach your children to be bad? Or do you have to teach them to be good? By default, the soul is a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And that's why Romans 12 says, renew your mind. This is the process of salvation. You have to go through discipleship. You don't just say the prayer and you're a perfect person. You say the prayer and then you go through a lifetime of the most ridiculous self-sacrificing discipleship so that you can get rid of your old man and become a new man and live in the spirit and not by the flesh. But it's your free will making that decision. The great news is Jesus did this for you. It requires nothing on your behalf. People say it, right? The, uh, salvation is the free gift of God. That is very true. This part is free. This part will cost you everything. Accepting Jesus is free. Following Jesus is very costly. That's your suke, right? We get psycho psychology uh, from that Greek word, right? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then finally, we're sandwiched, okay? God did this. We have to do this. God does that. He gives us a new body, and that's the final phase or stage of of salvation. Soma, we get a new body, right? Can't tell you much about that other than the very snippet that we get from Jesus when he rose from the dead, right? Scripture says that he was the firstborn of the resurrection, right? So he had a new body. It was very different from his old body. It carried over some things. Version 2.0 had 1.0 stuff in it, like his scars, personality, stuff like that but he looked slightly different. The disciples didn't immediately recognize him. He could still eat and drink. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We could be able to still do that in heaven, right? Can I get an amen? Come on. Uh, so it's not like it's going to be sterile heaven where we just sit there and, um, you know, like there's going to be rejoicing and parties and, you know, we, we, there's still that that God wants us to celebrate with him in. But it was very different. He could still eat and drink, but he could also appear and disappear, walk through walls, Right? His body was very different. It was a new spiritual body. Okay? Now I can prove to you that we haven't yet completed this phase of our salvation. Because I have tried time and time again to walk through a wall, and I get bruised every time. We are stuck in this phase right now. Okay, That's discipleship. You've got to walk through that. Theologically, we call these phases justification, then sanctification, and then finally glorification. Right, Theological terms. Uh, but we, this is the reality. We have to make choices right now to disciple, to walk in the spirit or to walk in the flesh, to choose suffering or to choose the easy path, to walk on the, on the wide path or to choose the narrow path, right? We have, our will is in control of this. God is not. God has done this, He's in control. God will do that, He's in control. But here, it is all you. Now, we can't do it on our own. I'm not saying like I will myself to be a better person, right? This isn't navel gazing, you know, looking at, you know, what I, my my inner potential. This is the Holy Spirit through me, but I have to make the choice to walk in the spirit or to continue walking in the flesh. You hear me? Okay, I don't I don't want to sound eastern philosophical on you. Okay? So the soul is the mind, the will, and emotions. All three of those you have to take control of. All three of those you have to submit to the will of the Father. All three of those you have to die daily to. All three of those you have to train, disciple, dig in, train, go through boot camp, get this done. All right? It will not happen naturally. It will not happen all on its own. God doesn't push a magic button and magically 10 years after going to church, you're a more mature believer. You have to decide to go through the discipleship process. And church will not do it for you, I'm sorry. Spending time in the seat does not produce fruit. Okay? These are daily choices you have to make. Requires training, requires discipleship. It's dependent upon your free will. Therefore, it can either progress or it can regress. Okay? You can either move toward God or you can move away from Him in your sanctification. I'm almost done. Good and evil are personalities. We are the gatekeepers, guys. God came. He made heaven and earth, right? Genesis. And then as soon as it was complete, what did he do? He handed all authority of creation to man. What did man do? He gave all that to the enemy. (laughs) Who did? But the enemy wanted that authority. Who did the the enemy come to to gain that authority? God or man? Man. Because man was the one with that authority. You can only get authority from those who have authority. So he went to man, tricked them. Deceived them, got authority from them, and then ran with it. That's the Old Testament story. <laughs> then Jesus comes, the second Adam, the mulligan Adam, <laughs> to do what Adam should have done. Jesus came, totally submitted to the will of the Father, totally lived a sinless life, did not allow the enemy to, to steal his authority, and then he died, and what's Scripture say? Then he descended, took Back the authority from Satan and then resurrected in eternal life with a new glorified body. That's what we get to do someday when we totally defeat Satan. But right now we're in the process. And that process is in the trenches. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. There's going to be blood and guts and crying, okay? But the end is the glorification. Okay? Are we choosing that though? But here's the kicker Jesus didn't keep that authority. He returned to the Father and gave the keys right back to his people, the church. He said, all authority is in me. God, the Father, has given it to me, and now I give it to you. I'm sending you out. As the Father has sent me, I send you. He gave them the commandment, the great commission, and we have been diligent in that ever since, right? We have the authority. We are the gatekeepers. Why is evil in the world today? Because we allow it. Not because there's bad people. Because there's people making bad decisions. Evil, this is not Star Wars. This isn't the force. They're not midi-chlorians in your bloodstream, all right? Good and evil are personalities. God is good. Satan is evil. Who are we partnering with and whose will are we bringing upon the earth through our decisions, through our lives, through our actions, through our giving, through our life philosophy, through our theology, through our life? Are we bringing Satan's will on earth or are we bringing God's? Because it doesn't happen by default. (laughs) Nothing happens by default. You have free will. You have to choose good today or bad today. Free will is an awesome thing. What are we doing with it? You might have read The Purpose Driven Life, and after 200 pages, have, still have no idea what God's purpose for your life is. I've just given it to you in two simple statements. All right? You can thank me later. The purpose of the church, and therefore the purpose of your life, is twofold, to make disciples of all nations and to prepare the spotless bride of Christ. That's it. Really simple. The big question is, how much of our time, finances, energy, resources, prayer, life, etc., etc., are we devoting to these two simple tasks versus anything else? Anything else. Guys, pour out your lives as a drink offering. Pour it out. It's worth it. It is worth it. Paul in the beginning said, even if I were to, I would be glad, I would be happy. But he lived it out. It wasn't all hypothetical for him. He walked it out. Here at the end of his life, he says the exact same thing. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to receive my reward. May that be our heart. May that be our prayer. May that be our attitude. May that be our perspective. God, you can take it all away from me. I will pour myself out for you. I forget, uh, off the top of my head, I don't know why I'm thinking of this quote. There's a missionary... I believe it was one of the guys that went down to Ecuador. Um, yeah. what's that? Jim Elliott might have been Jim Elliott no, 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 ah, I can't remember, but anyway the quote is the quote is this: <laughs> He is no fool <laughs> right? You know this quote? <laughs> he is no fool who gives right what he You cannot keep, you can't lose enough for God. You can't lose anything because you don't have anything to begin with. We, We lose nothing, we gain everything when we sacrifice. We lose nothing when we sacrifice, we gain everything. And that's both here and in the future, in eternity. When you give sacrificially now, in your time, your resources, your, your, you know, your ministry, whatever, whatever you expend for the kingdom, when you give, you are blessed multiple times in return. This is just a fact of life, fact of ministry, guys. I can't even imagine what the eternal reward will be because every time that I give here and now, I feel so blessed. All right? Let's live for God and, and be poured out as drink offerings. I love you guys. My message really deviated from first, first service. It's a, almost a completely different message, oddly. Uh, so I don't know if that's what God wanted to share with you or uh, if uh, you need to hear first, first service as well because it was very different. But I just want you guys to know I just want you to know that uh, I'm here until Thursday. Okay, and uh, honestly, uh, what God has allowed me to get get myself into um, is, uh, it blows my mind. It blows my mind what God is about to unleash on the world in both a good way and bad way. Okay, (laughs) I'll leave it at that. But the opportunity for the church, the opportunity for, for you guys sitting right here right now is unprecedented. What you guys can accomplish in your giving, in your going, in your sending, in your um, being poured out right now um, is exponentially more than what the church has ever seen historically, okay? The Great Commission can be completed in your lifetimes. Uh, The greatest spiritual harvest the world has ever seen can happen right now. We are on the cusp of it right now, right now. I wish I had the time to show you, to prove that to you, to show you all the statistics, to show you all the the key things that God has put into place in the world right now, that he is just storing up the energy and he is about to release it and the world is about to change, okay? In a crazy good way and a very scary way all at the same time, okay? I can show you this, I can show you the research, I can show you the reports, I can show you, show you, show you, and in Scripture, whether you're a prophetically minded person or a historically systematic theology type, whatever your bend, whatever how you process what God is doing, there is proof there to show you that God is about to be unleashed on this world like he has never been before. And you can be a part of it. The question is, will you? Will you say yes to God? Will you say, God, I want to partner with you in accomplishing your will on earth as it is in heaven, or am I going to be hindrance to your will so this is my final challenge i'm going really long i'm sorry my final challenge to you is i'm here till thursday if you want to hear more about that hear more about how you can get involved hear about how you can strategically partner with what god is doing in the world today and live as a as a drink offering rather than living the american dream then get my number get my email give me a call Meet with me sometime this week before I leave and let me help God blow your mind and uh, see what your potential in expanding the kingdom of God is. Okay? Love you guys. Let me pray for you. Uh, Actually, I can have the ushers come up. We'll do this all in one go. I'm getting you guys out of here late. I apologize. I'll stand right outside the door and you can stone me on your way out. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in this world, God. We thank you that you are a global God, that you are a a God of love and mercy for all peoples, Lord. Regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their language, regardless of their income levels, their socioeconomic levels, uh, what politics they believe in, Father, Father. Uh, Lord, all around the world, rich and poor, God, you love each and every one, and your heart goes out to each and every one, and you have commanded us to go tell them the good news. So, Father, we thank you that we can partner with you in that, um, both in our giving and our going, Father. So, Lord, I just pray that we would answer that call, Lord, that we would be more responsible than 0.02%. Father, that we would give sacrificially, Lord, Uh, to expand your kingdom because it's all yours anyway, God. You bought us with a price. It is no longer we who live. It is you through us, Father. We thank you, we praise you, and I just pray a blessing over each and every person here, Lord, Uh, whether right now they're kind of identifying in the flesh (laughs) or the spirit, whether right now they're saying this was an awesome message or, good God, I want to strangle this kid. Uh, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that your truth um, remains. And, Lord, soften our hearts Help us to live in the Spirit. Help us to respond to the challenge, God, to love you, to obey you, and to go out and accomplish heroic deeds for you, God, and with you. We thank you and we praise you and pray that you would multiply this offering and bless uh, the work that's going on all around the world through it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.